The following audio is from LifePoint Church, located in O'Fallon, Missouri. For more information about LifePoint Church, visit us online at thelifepointconnection.com. So the book of Acts was written by Dr. Luke, who also wrote the book entitled Luke. Go figure. In the book of Luke, he began to uh, talk about uh, all the things that Jesus said and did And in the book of Acts, he begins to talk about what happens after the life, after the death, after the burial, after the resurrection of Jesus Christ, as the church begins to uh, move into uh, the world. And so this book is not just about looking on how Christianity began, but rather this book is about the move of the Holy Spirit and how the Holy Spirit empowers the believers of the early church to live bold lives and proclaim the good news of Jesus. And so the Holy Spirit, what what he does is he comes and he fills them. He also seals them. He brings them to faith, but it fills people in order to proclaim the gospel of Jesus. And so I believe that the same way that the Spirit worked through the people in the book of Acts is the same way that God wants to work and fill inside your life. Do you believe that? Listen, if we don't believe that the Holy Spirit wants to empower us or to fill us for the gospel work to advance the name of Jesus and the kingdom of God to a dark, dark world around us, then all we'll be able to do is simply say, hey, look, there's God. Hey, look, that's what God's doing. Hey, look over there. That's what God is all about. Rather than actually experiencing the power of God for ourselves. And so I believe that God wants us to experience what it is to walk with him. And so that is the work of the Holy Spirit in Acts. I believe that is the work of the Holy Spirit that he wants to do today. And and what happens is it fills us to begin to talk about Jesus. And so here's the truth. We love the idea of the Holy Spirit working in and through our lives. And we love the idea of the Holy Spirit empowering us to help reach others with the good news of Jesus. But to be honest with you, very few people are actually willing to offer their lives for that work. Listen, we love comfort. We love it. And and your comfort zone may be a beautiful place, but listen, nothing grows there. And so we love to be comfort, and we look at our lives and say, why am I not growing? Why am I not prospering? Why am I not seeing God move? Because you love comfort. And so in order to live a spirit-filled, gospel-centered, Jesus-proclaiming, empowered life, you're going to have to suffer. That's the scriptures. You're going to have to suffer. Why? Because every time the gospel of Jesus is proclaimed and the word of Jesus and the name of Jesus starts to move forward, this is what happens. People meet Jesus. 
But because people are meeting Jesus at the same time, there is an opposition against Jesus that continues to rise up more and more. And so what you're going to see in the book of Acts, and that continues throughout all of history, and even brings us here today, is that when the church grows in the name of Jesus, persecution in the name of Jesus also also follows. And so for some reason... Christians are not big fans of suffering. For some reason, we would rather comfort for the name of ourselves rather than persecution in the name of Jesus. And so in our desire to chase comfort and to avoid persecution, the church in America has this desire to actually be liked by the masses and to chase the glory of man and to fill seats rather than going after the glory of God. And we love to reach the masses to just simply come in and be comfortable rather than seeing the masses come to faith in Jesus Christ. And we wonder why the church in America is no longer effective. And so you, you, you maybe grew up in church and maybe somewhere along the line you were told that Jesus loves you and he has a wonderful plan for your life and, and you get to go to heaven to be with him someday. And everyone said, sign me up for that. But what they forgot to tell you is the middle Right, the, the, the in between give your life to Jesus and spend eternity with Jesus is this middle part called life. And what they didn't tell you is that if you follow Jesus and you give your life to Jesus, you take up your cross and actually walk with Jesus and be empowered by the spirit of Christ to live for Jesus. And then what happens if you live for Jesus, people are actually going to say horrible things about you. No one tells you that because that message doesn't fill seats and it doesn't fill offering buckets. And so we have created a great counterfeit movement of people who do a great job of sitting in church but do not know the power of God. And the enemy has used this counterfeit anti-gospel message to lull the masses to spiritual sleep in their comfort area where nothing ever grows. And the movement of God among the people of God has become so stagnant that so many people don't even understand what it means to follow Jesus or a life that is filled by the Holy Spirit. And there are millions and millions and millions of people who sit in American churches every single day and have a false sense of salvation that they should not possess. Why? Because I prayed a prayer. I walked an aisle. I got wet. I did something. I went to some class. But you don't know Jesus because the fact is living for Jesus is messy and it's hard. Few amens on that. And so so this so-called following Christ, this this movement that is to be called the church, this Holy Spirit empowerment of the people actually has been replaced with lattes in the lobby. And we think that is the movement. And we think that is the call. And so many will attend 
powerless church programs season after season, year after year with the same self-help series trying to avoid the scriptures that actually I never tend to obey. And then we'll create counterfeit Christians who live under a spiritual illusion who just simply know church but don't know the power of God. And that's where we are. And so simply, we just want a nice place. We want a nice place for our kids. We want a nice place to to serve. We want a nice program that fits into my nice little schedule. And, and, And we want nice people. And nice people don't talk to me about my sin or don't call me on mission. They're just simply nice people. And you never talk about taking up your cross and following Jesus because crosses are messy and I want nice. And the hope of the church is not to just simply have nice but to be different. And so, listen, just over 10 years ago, like we started this church for a people that wanted to be different, wanted to live different, wanted to see God move differently. And I know you probably walked in here this morning and you're like, I'm not expecting that, right? So listen, listen, if you're not a follower of Jesus, I'm so happy you're here. I'm so encouraged by your attendance here. I hope that God meets you here. You give your life to Jesus and you start walking with Jesus. But if you're here and and you are a Christian and all you wanna do is nice, maybe once, maybe twice a month, depending on how it fits in my schedule. And I want to come and have nice music, maybe a good beat, you know, maybe entertaining, maybe, maybe a good illustration, or maybe I can smile at people that I don't really know or even care to know. I just want to do this nice little thing. I don't want to get messy for the glory of Jesus Christ. Let me be honest with you. You are not living by the Spirit, and you may or may not be a Christian. Put it out there. And so we've transformed empowered lives, spirit-filled, Christ-centered, God-glorifying, bold lives for some comfortable counterfeit that doesn't bear fruit. Motivation is for beginners. Discipline is for disciples. And so I've been standing here week in and week out trying to motivate you to say, die to self is life. Die to self is life. And what we need is the Holy Spirit not to come and motivate us, but to fill us. What we need is to once again fall on our faces and ask the Holy Spirit to come and empower us with this great empowerment that Jesus gives his church to proclaim the name of Jesus. And I'm praying, I'm inviting you today, right, to stop grieving the Holy Spirit and start walking in a manner that is worthy of the calling by which you've been called. That we could just simply lay down the comforts and say, okay, God, whatever you want, wherever you go, whatever you desire, I'm completely yours. Because we need to move forward in this call of Jesus as a church. And this call is to get in the trenches. Why? Because my city needs Jesus. I don't know about yours, but I know people that don't know the Lord, that need to know the Lord. Amen? And so if the city is going to meet Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior, listen, it's going to ask you to suffer for it. You're gonna have to be willing to put your neck on the line for the name of Jesus. And so today, 
we're going to talk about suffering. You can start the wave now. (laughs) Yay, suffering. Why? Because, listen, how many of you, if you're honest, you want to live godly lives? Okay, if we want to live godly lives, I want you to hear 2 Timothy 3.12. All, everyone say all. All who desire to live godly life in Christ will be persecuted. You know what that means? If you desire to live a godly life in the name of Jesus Christ, suffering is coming. Persecution is on the way. Why? Evil people and imposters will go from bad to worse, deceiving and being deceived. So do you desire to live a godly life? You're still thinking about it. Listen, if this was written in America today, it would say all who desire to live a godly life in Jesus Christ will be prosperous. Come to Jesus, he'll bless you. Come to Jesus, he'll give you a job. Come to Jesus, you'll find a spouse. Come to Jesus, you'll have health. Come to Jesus, you get prosperity. He's the big pinata in the sky, just bring your stick, make your ask, and watch the candy fall. All who desire A godly life will be persecuted for the name of Jesus. And listen, I know some of you, you're like, as soon as we start talking about persecution, as soon as we start talking about suffering, some of you really religious people are like, we're not really persecuted. This is not so bad. I mean, we're not thrown into the lion's den or the fiery furnace. I mean, we're not really suffering. Well, let me just tell you, Jesus actually talks about two types of suffering. In Matthew 5, 11, he says, blessed are you when others revile you. Everyone say revile. That's a fun word, right? Revile you and persecute you and utter all kinds of evil against you falsely on my account. Revile is another name for persecuting words. Ever, ever felt that? Christians, oh, you're one of those Christians? Oh, you must be an idiot. Believe in such nonsense. Christians are, oh, you're one of those Christians, oh, you must be anti-science. Oh, you're one of those Christians, you're, you're, a, you're a religious bigot. Oh, Christians hate women, Christians hate sex, Christians are so intolerant, Christians are so narrow-minded, Christians are the problem. Listen, there's a type of persecution that you get thrown to the lions, there's another kind where you get thrown to the critics. There's a kind of persecution where you die for Christ, and there's a type of persecution that you live for Christ. There's a type of persecution that silences you by killing you, and there's a type of persecution that wants to silence you by shaming you. The goal of both kinds is to keep you quiet. Don't talk about Jesus. If you do that, you do it over there, quietly, in the corner, but don't come here and talk about Jesus. And so listen, if you desire to live a life filled with the spirit that gives you the boldness to talk about Jesus, expect to suffer in the name of Jesus. You've gotta take your comfort and put it at the cross. 
Because if we desire to live lives filled by the Holy Spirit, empowered by the Spirit of God, to proclaim the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ, it's going to come. Suffering is happening. And so what I want to talk to you today is how do we suffer uh, uh, well? How do we suffer for God well? How do we suffer in such a way that continues to allow us to move forward for the glory of God? Well, let me tell you, what's happening in Acts chapter 4 actually started in Acts chapter 3, all right? Peter and John, they're going to the temple. They see a man who's lame since birth. They heal him in the name of Jesus, and the dude gets up and starts leaping around praising God. It's a miracle. In the name of Jesus, all these people gather together. Peter and John stand up, and they start to talk about Jesus. Now, let me ask you, how many of you think you shouldn't get in trouble for healing a dude? I mean, there's nobody that's anti-healing, right? Right? Like, I was sick, but now I'm better. Oh, gosh, I hate that. (laughs) No, we'll, we'll all say healing, yes, praise. Okay, great, healing. But listen, they still get arrested and they get thrown in jail. Why? Listen, it's not because the guy was healed. It's because they started talking about Jesus. So we won't suffer for serving or helping You suffer for speaking. If you walked in here today and say, you know what, I'm not really suffering for the name of Jesus. It's because you don't talk about him. And so what happens is they're they're arrested for talking about Jesus. Listen, you feed the hungry, no problem. You love the hurting, no problem. You support a good cause, no problem. You volunteer at your kids' sports, no problem. You go to the schools and help out, no problem. You get coats for the cold or food for the hungry, no problem. As long as you don't say Jesus is God, Jesus came to save us for sin, and Jesus is the only way to heaven. Because when you start talking about that, guess what happens? Persecution. So many like to turn Christianity into nothing but serving. Let's just get rid of the speaking. And we like to just simply get rid of the speaking because the speaking is what causes the suffering. And we like our comfort bubble, so we'll serve and we'll give and we'll do that thing behind the scenes. But you ask me to say the name of Jesus, I'm out. And so Jesus served and he spoke. Listen, you and I, As followers of Jesus, guess what we get to do? Serve and speak. And speak. And the Spirit empowers us to do so boldly. So in the middle of their suffering, they get arrested, and then they were threatened. Don't talk about Jesus. Don't talk about Jesus. Don't talk about Jesus. They have to let them go because the crowd uh, has come to faith in Jesus Christ. And they're like, we can't keep these guys. But we can threaten them not to talk about Jesus. And so the question is, how do we maintain stability through gospel suffering? Acts chapter 4, verse 23. What we're going to see is a three-legged stool. How many of you guys like my three-legged stool? Okay, it's not really a stool. It's probably more like a plant stand because I'm not going to stand on that. You want to see me? I'm not doing it. You're crazy. Look at Acts 4.23. When they were released, where were they released from? Prison. When they were released, they went to their friends. Everyone say friends. 
They went to their friends and reported what the chief priests and the elders had said to them. What did they say to them? Don't talk about Jesus. And so they go to their friends and say, they're threatening us not to talk about Jesus. And so the three legs of stability in gospel suffering, the first one is friends. God honoring friends. They went to their friends. Which Christian friends do you go to in your time of need? Who do you call on? Who do you trust? Which friends come to you in your time of need, in their time of need? Do you have a group of friends that you can run to when things go south? Now, I understand that when we talk about friendships, we talk about it in the midst of a fractured society, amen? Can we just admit that? Right, the nuclear family is nuclear because it exploded. Right, families are fractured, everybody's you know, divided. I mean, we're all lonely. All we have is online relationships. We have hundreds of them, but no real friends. All right, and so, and so we're not real sure who we could trust, who we could call on, who we can lean on, who we can run to, all right? And, and particularly when persecution or suffering comes, we're not real sure what to do. So Peter and John actually get out of prison and they run straight to their friends. Now here's the truth. It's a good thing they had Christian godly friends, all right? And they had them before the tragedy struck, all right? One thing I like to say all the time, get your boys before the battle, Right, you, you got a group of friends that are around you that you link arm in arm with, that you could call on, that you could talk to before that battle comes. Because listen, if you desire to live a godly life, it's coming, y'all. Get your boys, all right? Get your crew, get your friends. I wanna encourage you to have godly friends before the tragedy comes, before the trial comes, before the trouble comes. I'm not asking you to avoid the trials and I'm not asking you to avoid the trouble because that's not what it means to live a godly life. I'm asking you to get friends around you because if you live a godly life, the trouble is coming. And oftentimes people will ignore Christian community altogether. Why? Because I like comfort. I'm not going there, I'm not doing that. I, I, you know, it's hard for me to get into Victus groups because I like nice. I, I'm not really gonna pursue church membership. That's just too much commitment. You know, I don't want really a relational connection with God's people. And so when something does happen, then people run to the church or they blame the church and they wanna microwave a relationship. Ah, I need help, my house is burning. Who can help me? Like, we don't even know you. And so I would just beg you, because I love you and I want what's good for you, pursue godly friendships. Get your people before the battle. Who are you inviting, saying, hey, listen, if you need me, you call me. If you wanna talk, you need to pray, whatever. I'm here for you, I, I love you, you can depend on me. And now let me just give you some, something very clear here. It's great to have non-Christian friendships. Amen? I mean, those are great. We love them. We enjoy them. But when trouble comes and you're looking for support and you're looking for counsel, you need to run to God's people. Why? Because God's people, hopefully, will point you to God's word and will seek God's will, not just uh, another agenda. And so the first leg on the stool is to grab hold of and cultivate godly friendships. The second one is they pray together. That's the second piece of stability. Verse 24. Verse 24. When they 
heard it. So they heard that the threats were coming. Peter and John were released from prison. They said, don't talk about Jesus. When they heard that the threats were coming, they lifted up their voices together to God and said, sovereign Lord, who makes the heavens and the earth and the sea and everything in them. So we are to gather together and we are to pray together because the scripture says that they lifted their voices together. And so listen, your non-Christian friends may be able to give you counsel, but not prayer. They may be able to say, well, based on my experience, that my perspective, this is what I think you should do. That may or may not be helpful. That may or may not be wise. Are you with me on that? They can't ask the Holy Spirit to empower you. They can't ask the Holy Spirit to lead you. They're not asking the Holy Spirit to guide you. They're definitely not opening God's word with you and they're not praying for you. And so if the gospel of Jesus is moving through you, that means persecution is coming to you. And so these guys, they go to jail, they're threatened, they're released, don't talk about Jesus, and then they go to their friends and they pray. That is Stability. The third leg of stability is to open the word of God. Look at what it says. When they heard it, they lifted up their voices together to God, said, Sovereign Lord, you made the heaven, you made the earth, you made the sea, you made everything in them. Who through the mouth of our father David, your servant, said, by, everyone say by, by the Holy Spirit. Why did the Gentiles rage and the people's plot in vain? The kings of the earth set themselves and the rulers were gathered together against the Lord and against his anointed. This is a reference to Psalm 2. And it says the words came through the mouth of David, but they came by the Holy Spirit. David's the messenger, not the author. There's a big difference there. Are you with me? David's the messenger. God's the author. Which means if these words in this book ultimately uses authors to bring the message, but God is the author of the message, the message comes through him, but doesn't come from him, and the message comes from the Holy Spirit, which means this is the word of God. So we seek friendships, we pray together, and we have the word of God together. These three are the stability that we need in the midst of suffering. But let me ask you this question. What happens if one is missing? I don't care how much you try. If one of these is missing, it's going to fall over. And some of you are like, you know what? I study the Bible and I pray, but I don't really have Christian friends. Guess what happens? It falls. Some of you say, well, I pray and I have Christian friends, but I don't, really, I don't really open the Bible much. I mean, I like to hear it, but I don't like to live it. And so I probably deceive myself, and what's going to happen is it's going to fall over. Or, or, or some of you are like, well, you know, I'm just not really into, into friendships. I'm really kind of introverted. I like to keep to myself. You know, I've never prayed really with anyone before, and so I'm not real sure how that works. And so what happens is when persecution comes, it's going to fall over. You need all three Perseverance through suffering comes when God's people are gathered, God's word is open, and you're invited in through prayer. Let me tell you what I've seen in my years of being a pastor. So many people, they don't have these three things in place. 
and what happens when tragedy comes or suffering comes. If you don't have these three things in place, they eventually will leave the church. They'll say things like, I don't feel connected. They'll fall away from the faith. And if they do come back, they only come back in crisis. Something happened. Something that they can't seem to get their minds around. And let me just tell you, if that's you, you are so welcome back. We love you and we welcome you. But let me encourage you. It's a really hard route. That's a really tough life. And so don't hear this as condemnation, but an invitation. Get into Christian communities. Find some friends. Friends who will pray with you and friends who will open the Bible with you. We need all three to begin to continue in the life of suffering in the name of Jesus that we are called to live. Did you know Proverbs 18 says, if you want a friend, you have to be a friend? You're like, oh, no one talks to me. Who do you talk to? I mean, have you ever invited someone to lunch? Into your house? Do something together? If you want a friend, you need to be a friend. And what blows my mind is, is, is people who just come in and sit maybe once a month, maybe twice, you know, really good ones, really loyal, or like three, right? And they come in and they sit and, and they're like, you know what, I just don't feel connected. I just don't, I don't feel like I'm, I'm, being, I'm being fed. Listen, it's like you're starving to death in a grocery store. You're like at fresh time saying, I'm starving, I can't find any food. Like the menu is right open in front of you, but you refuse to taste any of it and you refuse to get in the game. And you sit in the corner and you grumble of how hungry you are. And so I'm convinced, there's no statistic for this, I'm convinced 95% of what the church grumbles about would disappear if you just lived your life on mission. If you just simply said, I'm gonna follow Christ, I'm gonna live my life on mission, and then you won't worry about all the nonsense that you worry about, right? You're empowered by the Spirit, and, and, and you're like, listen, I, don't, I, just don't, I just don't feel it. Well, I don't, I don't go to events, I don't join a group, I'm, I'm really I'm not you know, that committed, and, and you know what, I come in late, and I leave early, but I just don't feel connected. Hmm. Listen, if you don't have friends in the church, then you need them. And some of you, you're like, I do have friends in the church. They're just not godly friends. I mean, they're pretenders like you who just sit and grumble and gossip. No intention to grow, no intention to live a godly life, no intention to come together and say, hey, how can we together reach people for Christ? How can we worship Jesus with our lives? How can we pour ourselves out so others will know the name of Jesus? You're just like, oh, I don't like the church that's at. Eric, he gets so loud. We need to call on the Spirit, and we need to get in the game or go home. 
I, I'm just saying, because, because I am asking God day in and day out, week in and week out. I'm saying, God, would you fill this place? God, would you shake this house? God, we need you to start a revival in our cities, in us and through us, and fill these people with people who love Jesus, who are far from Jesus, who want to know Jesus, who come to faith in Jesus. And listen, if that's going to happen, we can honestly use your seat. So either get in the game or don't. Stop playing this middle game where you just do whatever's comfortable for you. And so these people, they gather together, they pray, they open the word of God, and look how they pray in the face of suffering. This is radical. Listen to what they say, verse 24. They say they pray when they heard it, they lifted up their voices together and said, Sovereign Lord. Everyone say, Sovereign Lord. Sovereign Lord. Listen, that's our God. He is above all. He rules over all, all people, all tribes, all tongues, all nations. God is sovereign Lord. And this, my friend, is the firm foundation in which our fellowship, our prayer, and our word stands upon in the midst of suffering is the firm foundation of God's sovereignty. Let me ask you, when tough times come, do you trust or do you doubt the sovereignty of God? How do you view the sovereignty of God, particularly when things aren't going your way? Let me just say this. We tend to view sovereignty of God more easily when things are going positively, right? Oh, I just got that thing. God is so good. Oh, this just happened to me. Oh, God is so good. Oh, this is going awesome for me. Oh, God is so sovereign. But when persecution and reviling and tragedy and tribulation start to arise, when that day comes, let me ask you, what's your tendency? Do you trust or do you doubt the sovereignty of God? Now let me explain the sovereignty. Sovereignty doesn't mean that everything that happens is what God wants. All right? Let me explain. There are things that happen that God doesn't want, like sin. Can we agree with that? Sin is not just breaking the laws of God, it breaks the heart of God. In Genesis, it says that there was so much sin that it, that it grieved God so much that he was so disappointed because things were going not the way that he wanted to go. And so sin breaks the heart of God. So to say that God is sovereign is not that everything that happens is what God wants, but to say that God is sovereign means that he's above it all and he rules over all. And that when he determines to do his will, Despite people doing what he does not want, there is no one or nothing, not you or the enemy, that can ultimately thwart his plan because he is powerful, he is good, and he is sovereign. That's what makes him Lord. And so when we're struggling and when we're suffering, it increases our possibility to question, is anyone even here? Can any? 
is anyone above this? Because this is like a train wreck, and I can't put my mind around it. Let me ask, do I preach and believe the sovereignty of God? Yes. Do, do, do I, I stand in my life the sovereignty of God? Yes. Are there seasons that I doubt the sovereignty of God? Yes. Because sometimes what I know theologically, I struggle with emotionally. Anyone else? And so I know that God is sovereign, but when I'm suffering, it feels like my circumstance is sovereign. It feels like this situation is ruling over what I want. I trust that God is sovereign, but I feel like maybe someone else sitting in a chair on a throne in an office somewhere is ultimately sovereign, like they're in control. Or what I like to do, maybe you can relate to this, or I like to say, how can I be sovereign in this situation? How can I take control of this situation? How can I have my will be done in this situation? And so I'll try to work all things out according to my will and my plan. But here is the truth. They're not in control. The situation is not in control. And you are not in control. He, God, sovereign Lord, is in control. Amen? And so they're praying, and they start with God Sovereign Lord, look at how they pray. Verse 27, for truly in this city there were gathered together against your holy servant, Jesus, whom you anointed, both Herod and Pontius Pilate, along with the Gentiles and the people of Israel, to do whatever your hand and your plan, your hand, your plan had predestined to take place. And so they pray to the sovereign Lord, and then they begin to lift up and talk about people who think that they're sovereign. Herod and Pilate, they think they're sovereign. They're political rulers. They can put to death whoever they want. They can cast judgment on whatever they want. The Gentile, they make up the masses. They think they're sovereign. They're the ones who cry out, crucify him. They think they're sovereign because they all voted. People of Israel think they're sovereign because they come up with a plan. How are we gonna get this Jesus? I know, it'll cost us 30 pieces of silver. We'll give it to Judas and he'll bring them right to us. That's our plan. Everyone thinks they're sovereign. Political leaders think they're sovereign because of their position. Religious leaders think they're sovereign because of their plan. Gentiles think they're sovereign because they're the majority. And the one thing that everyone agrees on is let's kill Jesus. And so the Romans want to kill Jesus. The Jews want to kill Jesus. The Gentiles want to kill Jesus. And we all want to kill Jesus. And so if there's ever a time that looked like God was not sovereign, that things were not going according to plan. Was that not the cross of Jesus Christ? You're going through, like your boy, the Messiah, the Savior, the Lord, the one who is to redeem all things. Where is God in that moment? Where is God? He's right there. Which one? The bloodied one. The naked one, the one with the crown of thorns, the one with the nails in his hands, that's where he is. Oh gosh, he's the sovereign one? He doesn't look very sovereign. He doesn't look like he's in control. Doesn't look like his plan is working. Looks like his plan is failing. But the Bible says that it was your plan 
and your hand that predestined this to take place. Whose hand? Whose plan? The sovereign Lord's. And so he tells the Romans' plan, the Jews' plan, the Gentiles' plan was all to kill Jesus, but also God's plan. When was this plan determined? It was predestined. That means before the foundations of the earth, Christ was going to the cross. Now, if you pay attention, your mind just exploded. The truth is the Bible says, hear me, rebellious people are responsible for their sin and choices. And it says that according to God's predestined plan. So the Bible says right here, people are responsible and God is sovereign. People do things that God does not want them to do, but God uses them as a part of his great predestined plan. Eric, how does that work? I don't know. I don't know. My brain is like three pounds. It's fallen. I went to public school. I don't know. I don't know how it works. But I know that man is responsible for their sin and God is sovereign at the same time. And he works all things according uh, to his will and his promise and his purpose. And and so when the Bible says, who has known the mind of the Lord? Listen, I'm not raising my hand. I don't know how it works, but here's what I do know. When you sin, it's your fault. When I sin, it's my fault. But God is so big, and God is so glorious, and God is so good that he uses all of it for his glory. And it doesn't mean that God causes sin. It means that God can use sin. How do I know? Because God is both sovereign Lord and he's good. And that is clearly seen in the cross of Jesus Christ. Listen to me. The murder of Jesus was the most horrific thing that has ever been done in the history of the world. Amen. But the cross of Jesus at the same time is the most wonderful thing that has ever been done in the history of the world. Amen? And so you see both suffering and the glory of God coming together for the name of Jesus Christ. People have a plan, but God has a bigger plan. And that's what it means to be sovereign. Sovereign doesn't mean that everything that happens is what you want but you use everything that happens for what you want. There's a difference. His sovereign plan helps us trust him in suffering. And let me just just give you this nugget because this is gonna be rich for you. We see God's predestined sovereign plan in the rearview mirror, not the windshield. Hear me on that. Because many of you right now are probably like, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. God is sovereign. I need to know God is sovereign. God, you have a plan. God, I trust in your plan. Show me your plan. And he never does. And you're freaking out. I don't know the plan, right? I'm anxious. I'm stressed. I'm worried. And you're like, God, show me the plan. What's the plan? And he says, the plan is to trust me. That's the plan. 
The Bible says that we see now in part, but one day we will see in full. Have you ever tried to drive through a storm and it's raining so hard that you can't see out your windshield? Maybe it happened this week. Like you're driving down the highway and then these dark clouds come, right? The storm hits and it's raining so hard. Like you can't see, see through it. So what you do is you pull over. You pull over. And so what do you do when you pull over? You wait. You wait because you're afraid to move forward. So what do we do when our mind theologically knows God is sovereign, but my heart is still afraid? Like, 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 like you know God, and, but you don't know the plan, and so you're a little overwhelmed at the thought of going through the storm. Well, the scripture tells us first, you need to trust the sovereignty of God, you need to get your friends, you need to pray, you need to open the Bible, and then you need to wait on the Lord. Can we agree that waiting on the Lord is not easy? If you've ever waited on the Lord, you know that's not pleasant at all. Why? Because we're in the middle of a storm. Listen, one of the most gut-wrenching uh, uh, passages in the Bible is, is, is David in Psalm 42 and, and 43. And, and at the end of the psalm, uh, David is just simply overwhelmed with the circumstance that's going on. And, and he's literally in a fight with himself because he says, I know this, but I'm experiencing this. I know God is sovereign, but I'm not sure how this is going to work out. And so he is literally in turmoil. Psalm 42, 43, it says, why are you so downcast? Oh, my soul, why are you in turmoil within me? And then he says, hope in God. Hope in God, he says. And so he understands that his heart is in turmoil, he sees him circumstance, he's suffering, so what does he do? He waits. He waits upon the Lord, but in his waiting, hear me, he's not silent, but rather he's preaching. Who's he preaching to? Himself. He says, I'm in turmoil, my heart's in disaster, I'm in despair, but I'm gonna stand up and I'm gonna say, self, preach to myself. Hope in God, trust in God. He is good, God is sovereign, trust the Lord. Have you ever realized, follow me, that most of your unhappiness, most of your fear, most of discouragement is due to the fact that you're listening to yourself rather than talking to yourself. Do your thoughts talk to you or do you talk to your thoughts? Because in this soul-despairing moment, he gets up and he says, self, stop being in turmoil, but rather hope in God. He preaches the word of God to his own heart. You should be master preachers. Why? Because you should preach every moment of every day to yourself. Hope in God. Don't trust in this. Don't walk down that path. Hope in God. He is good. Put your friends around you to encourage you. Hope in God. Trust in God. Open the Bible. Hope in God. Trust in God. Pray to God. God, show me yourself. And so listen, I don't know what the plan is, but I know the one who does. And that's where the hope is. And so I don't hope in a plan. I hope in the Lord who has the plan. That's different, is it not? 
Some of you, you say, I want to know the plan. I want to know the direction. I want to know whether to turn right or left. And what he's saying to you is hope in me. Trust me. You can't see it. Your windshield is bogged down with a storm. Trust me. And when it's over, you'll be able to look back and see my good plan. And in his grace, you look in the review mirror of your life and you can honestly say, you know, that's probably not the path I would have taken. But in his grace, I understand more now that God is so good and God is so sovereign. God is sovereign and he has a plan. And you are called to live out this plan. So what is the plan? The plan is to speak. That's his plan for your life. Just speak about Jesus. Look in verse 29. So what are they doing right now? Is they're praying. And now, Lord, look upon our circumstance. Look upon their threats. And grant us, grant your servants to continue to what? Give me that word. Speak. Okay, Lord, this is going on. This is happening. I don't know how it's going to end, but I'm asking you to help your servants speak. Everyone say speak. Help your servants continue to speak your word with all boldness while you stretch out your hand and heal and signs and wonders are performed through the name of your holy servant Jesus. That's who we're proclaiming. That's who we're talking about. And when they had prayed, the place that they gathered together was shaken and they were filled with the Holy Spirit. They were filled with the Holy Spirit. And when you're filled with the Holy Spirit, they continued to do what? Come on, say speak. Is it not up there? It says they're filled to speak. They're asking to speak. In what way? With boldness. Let us not shrink back knowing that threats are there, but rather grant your servants an empowering and a filling and a supernatural encouragement to speak the name of Jesus with all boldness. We need the Holy Spirit to fill us to follow God's plan for our life. And listen to me, that plan is for you to speak, not just to come in here and hear me speak. Say amen. Okay, that's your commission. Your job is to speak the name of Jesus with boldness, not to just walk in here and listen to me speak about the boldness of Christ. So listen, listen, this is gonna blow your mind. They're not praying, God, thank you for this food. They're not praying, oh, Lord, give us a hedge of protection. They're not praying, okay, will you just get us home safe? They're not praying, get us out of this trial. They're not praying, calm the storm. Give us out of the troubles. Give us out of the tribulation. Crush our enemies. Close the prison doors. God, give us a safe place to hide our families. God, make sure that it doesn't go bad. Listen, they're not praying any of that. Why? 
because they're filled with the Spirit. They don't pray for anything out here to change. They pray for everything in here to change. Look at me. If things out there are going to change, things in here need to change. And if things in here are going to change, then things in here need to change. And if things in here are going to change, we need to start praying differently. They don't ask God to get them out of the valley of the shadow of death. They say, God, will you get us through it? That's what they're praying. And they're praying for boldness. Some in our world will start threatening you and say, don't give your life to Jesus. Your friends will disown you. If you talk about Jesus, your boss may fire you. If you talk about Jesus, your professors will fail you. If you talk about Jesus, they may shame you on social media. Threat, 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 threat. They'll say terrible things about you. They'll turn their back on you. They'll abandon you. They'll persecute you. Listen to me. Stop allowing the threats of the world to sit on the sovereign throne of the Lord. Trust God. If God's people are on mission, we're filled with the Spirit, and we're gonna proclaim Jesus Christ, and it starts with us praying for boldness. When you're filled with boldness, it comes out of you because the love of Jesus flows from you, and you want other people to know the love of Jesus. As the band comes up, let me just simply close with a few thoughts. How many of you like paying for gas? Wouldn't it be nice if the first day you got your car, you filled up your gas tank and that was it? Like, oh, that's nice. Filled up, ready to go. But how many of you know you need to fill up the gas tank to go on this journey? And then you need to fill up the tank again to go on the next journey. And then you need to fill up the tank again to go on the next journey. The Holy Spirit's like that. When they're asking God to fill them with the Spirit, weren't they already filled with the Spirit? Listen, in Acts chapter two, it said that they were filled with the Spirit. To do what? To proclaim the name of Jesus Christ. In Acts three, it says they were filled with the Spirit. To do what? to proclaim the name of Jesus Christ. In Acts 4, it says that they were filled with the Spirit to proclaim the name of Jesus boldly in his name. And so listen, we need a constant, continual filling of the Spirit for the next conversation, for the next journey, for the next opportunity, so that when stress or suffering or persecution arises, we would simply say, Lord, fill me so that I could proclaim your name with boldness. I'm going to challenge you. Every time you fill up your car, pray and ask the Holy Spirit for boldness. Let it be a physical reminder for you that says, I need more fuel to stand and be stable in the face of persecution. And so listen, if you're going to be effective for Jesus, we need the Holy Spirit. If you're honestly going to live a godly life and you're gonna speak about Jesus, guess what you need? The filling of the Holy Spirit. This is not some 
mystical mumbo-jumbo craziness. This is asking God to use us and empower us for his name and his mission. And oh, how I long to be part of a church like that that would simply forsake all comforts and lay it all down at the cross and say, Jesus, oh, fill us to be bold because your name is the only name under heaven which men can be saved. Let's pray for that. Lord, today I am so humbled by your word. Lord, today I am so in awe of your continuous grace and your mercy to continuing to call us to this great mission. Lord, we see here uneducated, ordinary men being filled with an extraordinary power all because they pray for boldness. Jesus, shake these walls. Holy Spirit, shake our hearts. And in the name of Jesus, well up in us a filling, a filling of boldness that would go and proclaim and love and serve and speak and give and speak and pray and give and speak in your name so that this world would know that Jesus saves. Oh, Jesus, send your spirit to fall upon us. We ask these things in the name of Jesus. Amen.